tonight's reading, slightly extended version to in the newsletter, um, 1 Timothy chapter 2 from verse 8, that's page 1191 of the Church Bibles. Page 1191, 1 Timothy chapter 2 from verse 8. Therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. I also want the women to dress modestly, with decency and propriety, adorning themselves, not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love and holiness with propriety. This is God's word. Easy passage to preach on, right? Good evening. It's, it's good to see all of you. Natalie, thank you so much for, for reading our passage. Allow me to lead us in prayer before we, before we begin. Father, we thank you so much that you have given us your word. You have given us your word because you love us. Uh, you want us to know you. Uh, we want us to know, you want us to know your character and your will uh, for us as your church. Father, we pray that you would help me as I speak tonight on the subject, help me to speak clearly and faithfully. And Father, we pray that you'd help us as a congregation to accept your word, to embrace it, and to truly believe that it is good for us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I wonder what your, your thoughts are on the roles of men and women in the church. Do you believe that there are significant differences between their roles? Or do you think that the the roles of men and women in the church are essentially the same, perhaps even interchangeable? Last week, we saw that both men and women are called to serve God. We saw that the church is one body comprised of many members, each of whom, whether male or female, has been gifted by God to serve the rest of the body. So whether you're a man or a woman, you are gifted by God to serve his people, the church. If you're a Christian and you are not serving the church in some way, it might be worth asking why uh, that is the case and in what ways you might be able to. Now, I appreciate that some people will not be able to serve practically for very good reasons. For example, perhaps their health doesn't permit them to. But they might, they might be able to serve through prayer, for example. If possible, all of us should be serving in one way or another. God has gifted us as individuals. So we shouldn't bury our gifts or let them go to waste, but instead should use them to serve God's church. 
Now, since we are called as individuals to serve God, does this mean that we should serve without any gender distinctions? Or are there differences in how our serving plays out in the church as both men and women? My aim for us this evening is to see that there are indeed some differences. God's Word gives us two key areas where men and women are called to serve in different ways. So tonight, we're going to think about those differences, and then we'll look at why they exist. So are there differences between male and female roles in the church? Yes. And the first difference I want us to see is in terms of teaching. Our first point is differences in teaching. Sorry, my throat is a bit dry today, so I'm going to have to lubricate it occasionally. Now, before we dive into this point, I appreciate that merely saying that there are differences in how men and women can serve is highly controversial today. But I do think these differences are clearly taught in Scripture. And as Christians, I think we we want to listen to what God's Word says, even when what it says is extremely unpopular in our culture. By the way, if by the end of this talk you have questions um, you'd like to ask me or you have some thoughts or you disagree with me, please do come and speak to me. Um, we're, not in a Roman, we're not in the Vatican. I'm not the Pope. You can question me, okay? So you can come and speak to me. Uh, and next week, after, so after next week's talk, we're going to have a Q&A as well. So you could also ask your question then if you'd like to. But now, let's turn to our passage and see what it says about differences in teaching. So look at me at verse 11. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. That's quite an explosive start, isn't it? A woman is to be quiet and to submit? Wait, what? What does Paul mean when he says that a woman is to be quiet and that she's not allowed to teach? The first thing we need to clarify is the context. In what context is Paul saying that a woman must be quiet and not teach? Look down with me at chapter 3, verse 14. Chapter 3, verse 14. Although although I hope to come to you soon, that is to Timothy, who is in Ephesus, I'm writing to you with these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household which is the church of the living God. Folks, what do we learn here about why Paul is writing this letter? He's writing to Timothy so that he'll know what church life should look like. So in what context do we learn that women shouldn't teach? Paul is saying that they shouldn't teach the church. That is, they shouldn't teach when the whole church gathers together Formally. Now, what sort of teaching would happen when the church would gather? The Word of God would be taught. So what exactly is Paul forbidding here? He's saying that men and women, when men and women of the church gather, a woman is not to teach the Bible to them. 
So for us today, I think this means a woman shouldn't preach at a Sunday service. And I think it means she shouldn't teach the Bible to men and women whenever they are gathered together as the church, even if it's not on a Sunday. So, for example, a woman shouldn't teach the Bible from the front when we have our monthly church prayer meetings. And she shouldn't give a talk to men and women, a Bible talk to men and women at a church weekend away. Now, I think it's crucial to clarify what this doesn't mean. Does Paul's instruction mean that women are never allowed to teach the Bible? No, it does not mean that. And it's very important to get that clear. So in his letter to Titus, Paul says that older women should teach younger women. And shouldn't we expect that teaching to to include some explaining of God's word, some sharing of what they've learned. I don't know if you noticed there in in our passage, so chapter 2, verse 11, Paul says there that a woman should learn. Now, I think we, we often get so distracted by focusing on the second half of that verse that we forget just how radical the first half was. In first century Rome... Women were not encouraged to learn. But Paul wanted women to learn. And Jesus did too. Remember how in Luke's gospel, Jesus commended Mary for listening to his teaching while Martha, her sister, was busy preparing food? Did Jesus tell Mary to go help her sister in the kitchen? while he carried on teaching the men? No. He said that Mary was doing the right thing by listening to his teaching instead of being busy in the kitchen. Brothers and sisters, in in the Bible, we find that women are encouraged to learn. And we find that they are encouraged to teach. In addition to to teaching other women, they're also encouraged to teach children. So in Proverbs 1, verse 8, it says, Listen, my son, to your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. And there are many other verses in the Bible that show us that it is expected that children will be taught by women. So can women teach? Yes. Women are encouraged to teach God's word both to children and to other women. And I honestly think that this is a glorious thing. I don't don't believe that this means that women are somehow getting a bad deal just because they can't also teach men. Wouldn't we all agree that both women's ministry and children's ministry are vital in the life of any church? I think if, if we didn't believe that here at Christ Church, then, then why would we have dedicated women on staff ministering in those areas? And I, I dare not think what our church would be like without the women, both on staff 
and not on staff, who look out for the women and children of our church and lovingly teach God's word to them. Paul's words in 1 Timothy do not mean that women are not allowed to be involved in teaching and ministry. Here's another thing his words cannot mean. It cannot mean that women can never speak to men about the Bible. For example, in a conversation in case they inadvertently teach them. So in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, Paul says to both men and women, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. What is Paul saying there? He expects men and women to speak the message of Christ to one another and to teach one another. So men and women should discuss the Bible together in Bible studies and in conversations. Paul doesn't mean that women ought to be quiet all of the time and never to discuss the Bible with men. Here's another thing Paul cannot mean. I don't think it can mean that women can't play any part in a church service. There are churches who believe that. So some churches will not allow women to participate from the front in services at all. So in these churches, you won't find women doing any Bible readings, and you won't find them leading any prayers in the Sunday service. So that's how they interpret those words in, in verse 12. Women are to be quiet. But I think they are, I think those people are wrong. I think those churches are wrong. I think the instruction for women to be quiet is regarding preaching or Bible teaching where male listeners are included. I think it's wrong to conclude that Paul means we should never hear a woman's voice from the front, not even in prayers or Bible reading. Now, why do I think this? So, Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he speaks of women praying and prophesying in church meetings. And he doesn't say that they shouldn't do those things. He says that they, just like the men, should do them appropriately. Now, we're not going to discuss what prophecy means because we don't have the time. But um, if you'd like to think about what prophecy is, uh, then you may want to listen to, to Kevin's talk in it. I think he gave one about, about two years ago. And you should be able to download that from our website. My point is, Paul mentions women speaking in the church in the form of praying and prophesying. So he thought it was completely normal for women to be doing these things in church. And that's why I think it is right for us here to encourage women to pray or read the Bible from the front in our meetings. Okay, so we've just considered what teaching in church for a woman might look like. We've thought about ways in which a woman can teach and ways in which she should not teach. Now, I suspect 
that some of us still might think it's a bit unfair that women can't preach on a Sunday, for example. So I want to point out something that, although obvious, is still important for us to consider. When the Bible forbids women from teaching the church from the front, it is not forbidding them from doing something that every single man can do. How many men in our congregation actually preach at our Sunday services? Not very many. The vast majority of men in our church never preach on a Sunday. And the vast majority of Christian men around the world also do not preach. Only a very small minority do. So it's not as though women are being prevented from doing something that every man or even most men are doing. More generally, when, when it comes to teaching, according to the Bible, it's not being male that qualifies someone to teach. It's being gifted in that area and godly. Let me repeat that. According to the Bible, it's not being male that qualifies someone to teach. It's being gifted in that area and godly. By God's grace at our church, we are blessed to have both men and women who are qualified to teach. Even though their teaching remits may not be identical. Now, We've considered differences in teaching when it comes to male and female roles in the church. Are there any other differences? There's another key difference I want us to consider, and that's in terms of leading. Our second point is differences in leading. Have a look again at chapter 2, verse 12. Paul says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. What does Paul mean when he says that a woman should not have authority over a man? Again, the context is key. Remember what we saw in chapter 3, verse 15. Paul is talking about roles in the church. He's not talking about male and female roles more widely. We'll think about male and female roles outside the church next week. So what does it mean that a woman should not exercise authority over a man in the church. I think first and foremost, it means that a woman shouldn't be an elder or overseer. So Paul goes on to describe the qualifications for elders in chapter 3. And it's clear that it's a male role. So Paul is saying that women are not qualified to be elders, which obviously means that they should not serve as senior pastors of churches as well. Now, why do I raise that? I raise that because there are many women who are senior pastors of churches uh, here in the UK and around the world. What are we to make of that? I think they are breaching Paul's instructions. To be blunt, I think they are being disobedient to God by not submitting to his word. And I know saying that won't win me friends, but 
I really don't think God's word could be any clearer on this. A woman who chooses to lead a church is not honoring God's word. She's assuming authority over men. Not only that, but she's also going to be preaching to them, which we've already seen she shouldn't be doing. Are there differences between male and female roles in the church? Yes. There are differences in in teaching and in leading. Now, before we move on to our final point where we'll consider the reason for these differences, it might help to first consider some common objections to what I've just shared. So here are a few objections to holding the view that there are differences in how men and women are to serve in the church. So one one objection is this. Paul was sexist. Now, I think there are many, many issues with this objection. And the biggest is this. By saying that Paul is, was sexist, we are undermining God's word. We are saying that we shouldn't listen to part of God's word because it's not really inspired. It's just Paul's sexism speaking. Do you see the problem? When you do that, God's word is no longer your ultimate authority. Your selective interpretation of it is. And that's a very, very slippery slope. So when Paul forbids sex outside of marriage, could we not also say that it's just because Paul was a prude? Or when Paul speaks about homosexual practice, Could we not say it's just because he was a homophobe? Friends, disregarding Paul's Paul's instructions because we think he's sexist is not an acceptable objection. At least, that is, if we claim to take God's word seriously. Another another objection, uh, this is quite a common one. It's a a biblical one. Galatians 3.28 which is an amazing verse, by the way. It's an, it's an, if you want to memorize a verse, it's a great verse to memorize. So in this verse, Paul writes, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, why do some people appeal to this verse to object to male and female distinctions? They take this verse to mean that that Paul is squashing any differences between men and women. But is their claim true? Actually, Paul isn't doing that at all. If we look at this verse in its context in Galatians, we see that Paul is talking about salvation. He's saying that anyone can be a child of God through faith whether they're a Jew or a Gentile, or whether they're male or female. Paul is saying that that your status or your gender are not barriers to your having a relationship with God. And isn't that a beautiful thing? The gospel is inclusive. It's for all people who accept Christ by faith. By the way, if if you're here today and you're not yet a Christian, 
Know that you can receive salvation from your sin and from judgment if you'll trust in Jesus. Your background, your race, or your gender do not preclude you from God's salvation. That's what Paul means in Galatians 3.28. So when people mention Galatians 3.28, I'm like, yes, great verse. But we need to understand what it's actually saying. It's much better than those people actually make it out to be. A final objection I, I want to address is culture. So some people say that Paul's instructions here in 1 Timothy do not apply today. That they only apply to the specific culture Paul was addressing in the first century. Now, are they right in saying that Paul's instructions are not transcultural? I don't believe they are. And it's because of Paul's reasoning. So how does Paul justify men and women's distinctive roles? He goes all the way back to Genesis 1 and 2. He anchors his reasons for male and female distinctions in the created order. So the differences between men and women in the church are not incidental or irrelevant. They are by design. God created us to be different. He created us to have different roles. And this leads to our final point. The differences we have are by design. We are different by design. After explaining in in verses 11 and 12 that there are differences between men and women in the church, Paul gives us his rationale in verses 13 and 14. Have a look at verse 13. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. Remember how in Genesis 2, God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. In Genesis, we find that God created Adam to lead and Eve to help. Now, this does not mean that, Adam can, that man can never help and that women can never lead. But in Genesis, it is clear that Adam's primary role was indeed to, to lead and that Eve's was to help. So God intentionally created them distinct. God could have created two men or two women, two leaders or two helpers, but he didn't. He created one man and and one woman, so that they would beautifully complement each other. And, and this shows us that there were gender differences from the very beginning. God instituted these before the fall. I think it was the failure to respect these differences that partly led to the fall. At the fall, we see Eve taking the lead and Adam failing to lead. What does, what does Adam do as Eve grabs the fruit, brings it to her mouth, and sinks her teeth into it? 
just stands there and watches. And then when she gives the fruit to him to have a bite, following her lead, he takes it and eats it too. Friends, Adam and Eve didn't respect God's created order. They thought they knew better. So instead of doing things God's way, they did things their way. Today, when it comes to roles in the church, are we tempted to think that we know better than God? Are we tempted to do things our way rather than God's way? Brothers and sisters, as Christians, we've been born again. God calls us a new creation. So let's not, as the church, try to look like the world. We have the Holy Spirit. The world doesn't. We have new life. The world doesn't. We are trying to live God's way according to his good purposes. The world isn't. Folks, men and women are different by design. Let's celebrate that. And let's seek to live those differences out as the church. God's ways for us are good. Adam and Eve doubted that. And we know what that led to. Let's not follow in their footsteps and doubt God's good ways for us, his church. God wants his people, his new creation, to be distinct from the world. So how foolish would it be for us to try and imitate it? Let's pray. Father, we ask for your forgiveness because we often doubt that your ways are good. We often don't trust them. We hear what the world is saying and we think, yeah, they're right. Father, we do ask for your forgiveness. We ask that you convict us if there's any hints of chauvinism in our hearts that, that wants to overblow the differences between men and women and say, oh, only women can, men can speak and women can never speak. We pray that you convict us of that so, we, so that we'd repent. And if there's any gung-ho feminism in our hearts um, that's, that wants to squash and flatten any differences that you have instituted, uh, Father, we pray that you convict us of that too. Father, your word challenges us, and we thank you for that because it reveals your good ways. Um, Father, help us to, to trust your word. Help us to embrace it and help us to live this out faithfully as a church and forgive us when we fail to. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, um, there's a lot more I think I could have said. Uh, if you want to think more about this topic, I highly recommend this book. It's called God's Good Design. It's by Claire Smith. She's got a PhD um, in the New Testament. Um, I've read this book and I found it so 
So helpful. She writes very clearly. If you're thinking, oh, PhD, oh, my goodness, that's going to be a really hard book to read. It's actually very, very accessible. So this is an excellent book if you want to think further on this topic. God's good design. And here's just one way in which um, a woman is serving the wider church with her gifts. There's no way I have like a tenth of the brains that Claire Smith has. Um, so here's a woman putting her good gifts to good use. Get this book if you want to think more about it.